0: Hello and welcome to the Making It in Asheville podcast. This is the Asheville-based podcast where each week we sit down with a local small business owner, entrepreneur, maker of some sort, ask them what they are making and how they are making it in Asheville. And this week, I'm joined by Eric Fabian of Sourhouse. and out of the gate, if you know anything about me, and Eric, you have no reason necessarily to know anything about me, but I love wordplay, I love puns. And I love the name Sour House.
1: Right on, I appreciate what, that. So
0: if you could, what is Sour House? And then immediately, how how quickly did you get that as a name for the concept?
1: Right, um, well, thanks for having me here. I'm excited to talk with you and be part of the series. And I, so Sour House started, uh, well, I won't give you the whole backstory right now. I'll just say that Sour House is a project to encourage, more people to enjoy sourdough bread and, and homemade fermented foods. We have this like vision of people gathering around a table and, uh, and eating foods, sharing foods, making it for each other—we think in a world where people are increasingly disconnected, this is a nice thing. It's good for our health. It's good for us as as people. And uh, and our contribution to that is we make products, tools for sourdough bakers. Um, our primary one is a um, counter, countertop uh, warmer for sourdough starter called Goldie. And then uh, we also make some jars and some other accessories. And we've got lots of lots of visions for other things that we want to make. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically it. Love it. How quickly
0: did Sour House jump in your brain?
1: Okay, so we went through a naming phase like uh, at some point when we were kind of putting the brand stuff together. And I, I don't know, I had a handful of names. You know, we we both were like thinking about naming the product because we or the origin, everything started with what's now Goldie. Sure. And like, so we were that and like, do we want a bigger name? Like, blah, blah, blah. Um, In fairness, I worked at a company that uh, was, it's like a software company for recruiting software and it was, it's named Greenhouse. Mm -hmm. And like, I always felt like they made a good choice with that one. So I kind of like took that format and I was like, man, uh, this idea of like space for fermentation, the sourness, like that kind of came and I think, I don't remember how many other names we had for the company. We I think we t- typically we initially thought maybe that would be a name for the product, mm. and um, but I wanted to have a bigger brand, so we had room to grow on, uh, on top of the product. So we had actually more com- conversations around the product name uh, than Sour House. Sour House just kind of sat there for a while. I think everybody felt like that was pretty good that I got feedback from, and it just kind of stuck around. and. Luckily, nobody else was using it for a product. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and,
0: you know, so it was just available. And uh, so we kind of went from there. I, I mean, I, I love it. I, I love the line of internal questionings that you asked. And I think it's often, um, I mean, I don't know if we've had many conversations about naming in all 120 something episodes so far, but uh, you seem to ask the right question. So A, does it exist anywhere else? Did you just do like a quick USPTO assessment? Yeah, and I, I mean, I used to consult around this stuff
1: and I love sure. naming as one of my favorite parts of branding, but the, uh, uh, so I feel like you do a quick uh, search for kind of intellectual property and you do a quick online search and you do the main social media channels. Like yeah. that's a quick forecast, you know, kind of just like, is this an okay place to explore? And then, um, you know, I always advise people to get a lawyer to actually do another check, sure. but, um, uh, but I think that's the basic thing. But it's also, I think, a part of general positioning. Like you want to f- see like what else is in the marketplace of this sort of thing, and yeah. like how um, how do you imagine yourself sitting there? And does that name support you? And I've got some theories about what's a good name, what's a bad name, all that kind of stuff.
0: Oh, all ears. I. But uh, the other th- thing that had stood out in the in the way that you described it is um, assessing product name versus the business name and, uh, an example of how I often see that, you know, uh, fumbled I'll say is, uh, and it was a part of my life for a moment, but like a CrossFit gym mm-hmm. that is like, you know, green street CrossFit. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So well, you open a second one what do you not green street, like you're yeah. like just going to start a new name over, like there's no continuity. Yeah. So like Asheville, CrossFit. Okay. Well, you can't, if you, you know, you don't want to start one in Chattanooga. Like, I I guess there's some operational, um, you could start over, I guess, but like, what if we just named it something that can, um, hold more than the geography or name it something, um, that allows you to get into, um, kimchi fermenting and, uh, sauerkraut fermenting because it's, Part of the same ecosystem. Totally. But it's not. Yeah. And we, like in our case, we know that as like
1: fermentation advocates, enthusiasts, like someday maybe we would start to create tools for other kind of fermentation yeah. type projects in the kitchen. Um, so we wanted that space. I think I always, the one way I think about it is like, I think there's always this tension when you're picking a name between, um, digestibility and clarity and then something that's like more romantic and aspirational. And it, I think it's a trade off for me between one is resources, like your budget and like your ambitions. And the other thing is like the, the context you're in a bit because, um, you know, I think of like pizza hut, like pizza hut, you know, sells itself, you know what you're getting, right? And like, and so if you're trying to introduce a new brand, it's expensive to build awareness and understanding of what you do, right? Yeah. And so the more romantic you, you are, um, I think that the bigger cost upfront of building awareness and understanding is gonna be, but you're not gonna have as much room to grow. Um, and we think of like the classic, like Apple, like Apple started as Apple computers and eventually they got well known enough, they could drop computers, but um, you know, at first, like what does an Apple have to do with a commu- computer? It's a bit of a, you know, I have to go through some mental gymnastics to get there. And um, so I think that that's always a choice and the kind of business you're doing, you know, if you're doing a really small business and you're doing a CrossFit gym, um, you know, you're probably more concerned with like is there CrossFit in your community at all? Yeah. Like, cause if yeah. it's there, you can just say we're CrossFit, you know, <laughs> and people will we, come. We, we have a license, Right. Yeah. But if you're competing against like 10 of them, then you gotta say why you're different. And,
0: uh, um, and then that, part of your name Joyce, is part of that yeah I, I love it there's um i saw a really beautiful framework on how to think about names where it's like convergent divergent exists as like words are totally new words um and you have different battles like to for all of them and so Sourhouse again it's the powerhouse of sourdough it's the sa- you know, you know
1: actually, yeah I, I i get it I, I i'm i think we had a little kismet on all of it because like, we got lucky i mean even more so with goldie honestly because we didn't um next step yep. because we there's we have this whole like story we tell around the like the goldilocks zone and we touched on the fairy tale thing a little bit but we didn't conceptually start from like fairy tales and like you know and work backwards like we were just like thinking in terms of like you know, warmth and, you know, kind of like I originally thought of it as kind of like a a starter cozy or like, you know, much more functional kind of things. And, um, and something about that, the, the warmth of that name kind of came to us and it actually was just like good fortune that it like led into all this like fairy tale stuff that we now kind of lean into more and use as like a means to kind of help, you know, make, Sourdough, which can be somewhat intimidating, it has like a learning curve, sure. seem a little more accessible to people and like help familiarize themselves with not only the practice of Sourdough Home Baking, but uh, with Sour House, the company and the brand and the thing we're trying to do. So it's like, that was just good fortune. We're lucky it all worked out. Like, you know, it doesn't always work so cleanly, it's, you know, it's
0: like, yeah. Awesome, so the, the touches of gold in the overall brand aesthetic is informed by
1: goldie and i can't remember the exact order of things now but like i think my co-founder jenny like i think we were probably thinking of colors and stuff around that same time basic palettes and uh and you know i think she probably brought the gold idea to the table anyways and so that
0: probably was in there somewhere like that mix yeah so clean so talk to us about goldie is this is this considered Goldie? What we're lo- so if you're not watching on YouTube, consider it. But um, is this? Would this be so a the Goldie j- setup? Or we so not-
1: the jars are sold separately um, because Goldie works with any jar that fits inside. But Goldie mm-hmm. is a, a very simple countertop warmer for sourdough starter jars, and so it just consists of a heating base, uh, a glass cloche, which is what we call the the transparent top, and um and it, it's a simple device. You put your jar inside. There's a when you plug it in a single light comes on the front that's either blue gold or red and that tells you based on the thermometer that's at the base um, whether the environment in inside goldie is either uh, below 75 degrees that's blue between 75 and 82 degrees which we call the goldilocks zone that's like where you want your starter to be to be most active or above 82 degrees where it's going to be a little little warm and start to it get away from you a little bit and um and there's one switch in the back it's an auto warming on off switch so if you flip that switch on a little light comes on the bottom it warms up the base with a very gentle heat to keep your your um jar of starter in the goldilocks zone so if you're home most of us live in env- environments that are like 68 70 degrees all year round with with between heat and air conditioning that's about five, 10 degrees lower than starter likes. Starter likes the spa life, and it you know, and and I think one of the hard conceptual things as a baker is to realize that like, hey, I might be comfortable, but my starter would like it to be a little bit warmer.
0: Just wants a little sweater. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and so this is meant to just warm it up a little bit. Um, and it never will overheat your starter. Unlike like other, you know, kind of DIY kind of heating devices people use, like it uses a very gentle heat. A lot of like, if you use, if you repurpose like a heating pad or a mugworm or something, that's going to like blast it with heat until it gets to a place and then kind of on off to kind of keep it there. Cause it's all about, it's really designed to get warmer than what ours is. This doesn't need that much heat. And so by keeping it really low, we're able to not only, be very gentle to the starter and just give it what it needs. But also it really reduces the energy footprint of this thing. Mm. It's a USB plug in so it works worldwide with your local kind of adapter to your wall. And uh, you know, it's using just like at max five watts of energy at any at any point. And uh that's like you know, half a fourth of what even even if you put it. A lot of people, as a DIY solution for this, will put a jar of starter in the oven with the oven light on. Sure, like an oven light. You know, we're talking like forty watts or something, and like it, the so it's like even that it's like more efficient. So by keeping it simple and small and like whatever, um, we feel like you know there's lots of little kind of experience things we try to solve. Um, We do sell jars as well, Um, starter jars and a pint and a quart size. And um, they come with a little rubber band and mark where your starter is inside of it. So you can tell when it doubles and it's meant to like look nice together and and has a a good fit for for Goldie. But you can use any jar. It was built. Originally, we built it around a mason jar, Mm -hmm. you know, just made sure what people typically
0: use will work in there. And I just, A, it's absolutely beautiful. Again, um, you know, check out Instagram or watch on YouTube execution on the aesthetic from name to brand to uh goldie and do you have a cute name for the jar also. we
1: just call those the sour house starter jars um, we're much more kind of fr- frank about those because um, we have a little less mythology there but um <laughs> but i also i do want to give credit like yeah. my co-founder jenny olsen who is a professional industrial designer like she brings a lot she, like my i was a sourdough baker and when COVID started and like, I saw everybody kind of getting excited about sourdough and asking me for tips. Like I was, while people were starting little micro bakeries, I started thinking about products for these folks. And um, I needed, when I made my first starter, I, I went through a period where my starter took like a month because it was too cold, eventually I figured it out. And once I warmed it up, it was like ready to go. And, and so I was like, oh man, this would help people. And so I had a basic idea of this functionally, like a glass top with a little warming base and and I brought it to Jenny uh, for some feedback initially. And then eventually we started working on it, but like a lot of these like refinements, um, you know, come from long conversations, but she's definitely like, like I'm real fortunate that we found our collaboration because we both have like these peculiarities and kind of things that we care a lot about. And like, they're not only the same thing, but I think through our dialogue and th- things seem to come out pretty well. And so like, when we talk about names, like, I have a lot of opinions about naming, but you know, she has gave me a lot of feedback on it and yeah. we, had, we had battles about that. And the same with the visuals, like she really, like she invented the idea of like the handle on the side, which is a, you know, there's a whole discussion around the utility of that and why it's designed like that. The basic kind of like, like, um, consistency around color and like stuff like these are things she really brought to the table. She originally kind of had the initial idea to do a jar um, because she felt like that was a pain point for her. And like, so it's like that, um,
0: that conversation is like, is a big part of how we make stuff, you know? I love it. And I was just going to, in talking about the look and the feel and the execution here, talk about how while it's, Maybe not the biggest deal. So, like, um, we kind of offline we had we had discussed trying to bring cool brands and products to this space. That you know, you could argue like people have been making sourdough since forever. Mm-hmm. Who needs new cool products? Yeah. When I don't know, uh, bread has been rising forever, yep. so to speak. Uh, but there was just a video that you posted the other day on. Instagram of The little pain of cleaning the top of the mason jar the ball typically where it like screws on the lid and That is a real Pain yeah, it
1: stinks. So if you don't bake, you know, sourdough starter is uh, Kind of messy and then when it dries it dries in like really like concrete and so if you have a threads on your jar you know, even if you're very careful, you tend to get some starter in there and tends to get gunked up and it's a pain to clean. And we want to encourage people to, you know, if you're caring for a starter, you have to feed it either every day on the counter or or at least once a week or so if you keep in the fridge. And we don't want those kind of annoyances to be a psychological barrier to taking care of your starter and to bake more bread. And so solving that, I think, makes people's life a little easier. It makes for a cleaner design. So that's a nice thing of it. But also um, it just, takes away do you need a special jar for starter no and like you know you can we know people who keep their starter in like leftover like to go plastic containers right and and it works fine and um but if you're you know just looking to kind of like try something new experiment experimentation is a big part of um, sourdough baking and uh if you're somebody who loves like some some of our customers are people who just like have beautiful kitchens and they want everything to look perfect and like so like th- there's definitely a market for that um so it, it, it's meant to be we we don't want to create just beautiful things we want to create functional things but that we think are attractive to ourselves or at least somebody sure. and
0: uh, and have it all be coherent well direct hit yeah um thanks yeah my w- i would love to get into the execution of the concept now so uh Jenny, it, was she already a friend? Was she already in your network? Yeah,
1: we knew each other for years. I I used to live up in Brooklyn, New
0: York, and she's still up there, and uh, so we were friends. Awesome. And so you have a concept. Talk me through early days, right? So I know that there's a Kickstarter that shows up. Was mm-hmm. anything there? There's a tendency, or has been in the last decade, let's say, of you know we're already making this product purchase orders are in, it's like, it's done. We're gonna launch a Kickstarter as like a marketing coming out party and um, we're gonna crush it. And some people have done absolutely absurd volume through Kickstarter. Um, Other people, it's like, hey, we have this idea. Look at the idea we made, here are some renderings. Um, Do you think this is cool, internet? If yes, like send us money and we'll do it. a, that's just one way to launch a business. How What was going on in your mind early days? How did you launch? How did you think about launching? Why Kickstarter yeah. versus any other way? So I had uh,
1: left New York. Uh, we were staying with family in Florida because of COVID. I had some little kids and uh, we were looking for more space but i was suddenly like gone from being a consultant to stay-at-home dad so i was looking for stuff to do had this idea started talking with it you know i thought we were going to launch it on kickstarter in a few months and Mm. uh, i think in normal times with no kids maybe that would have been possible but we actually ended up taking like basically two years to do it and uh and so initially it was like just a nice and weekends kind of thing where we were just like Step by step, kind of taking the idea, um, doing experiments on the functionality of what would become Goldie, going through a design process, building the brand out. We had a false start where we try, thought we would launch it in um, twenty what was it in twenty twenty one like uh, yeah like two thousand twenty one like March. And so we launched our brand, started a, like a storytelling campaign, put up our social and stuff. But then the product wasn't quite ready. It was actually the glass on top of this on top of Goldie it's just real complicated to do that and uh and so it ended up taking longer and uh, and so we persisted and then um and then launched our campaign I by default like I uh have advised on Kickstarter campaigns my wife was an early employee at Kickstarter oh, so no I'm way. yeah wow. so I'm like You're I, in. Yeah. I'm like very aware of what Kickstarter is and uh and I think people do use it for marketing but for us we've you know, we bootstrap this thing, we still are bootstrapping this. And so we're we're taking a, a low risk, um, needs to be profitable, the market needs to prove that they want this thing kind mm. of approach. And, uh, you know, it's low resourced from the beginning. And, uh, you know, fortunate Jenny and I both have kind of skill sets that we can do a lot of stuff ourselves, yeah. but uh, to at least get it started, it just took longer, I think that way than probably I would have liked. And, um so that's kind of like why i just always assume we do kickstarter to validate it and then to get um at least cash to like make a first round of production and then i also know that like building a community around kickstarter is nice and focused and it helps you build that brand it gives you a point to grow from you know rather than just trying to say to the world hey we're here
0: hello are you watching on youtube listening on your favorite podcast player if you're not on youtube perhaps consider it because behind us, you would notice that we are in an absolutely beautiful space. And that space is our season sponsor, Ernest Ready Made Warehousing. And so if you're not familiar with Ernest, uh, it is fantastic. I am joined here by my wife, Sarah Ubertaccio, founder hey. of QB Cucina and one of Ernest's newest clients.
2: Yeah. Excited to be back on the podcast.
0: Great to have you back. Episode 110, if you haven't listened before. But what we want to talk about today is why you chose Ernest and what makes Ernest stand out let's say, compared to uh, finding a new office space in town to fulfill from. As a very high level, Ernest is a 30,000 square foot facility on Sweeten Creek, just south of Asheville. Huge facility, beautiful facility. Uh, Why did you choose to go with Ernest instead of Any other place in Asheville?
2: Yeah, well, I have a small growing business, e-commerce. We sell pasta tools and Italian kitchenware. And we currently outgrew the space that we were in and really needed um, a different kind of space. And so I love Ernest. I love the fact that uh, as we grow, Ernest can scale with us. So they have different sized co-warehousing spaces. Um, so if we if we grow bigger, we can just quickly move over to a different space within the same building, which is a really huge time saver. I also really love that they have daily, sometimes multiple times a day, um, pickups from UPS, FedEx, and USPS. So we don't have to worry about packages getting lost or stolen, and our team doesn't have to drop them off at the post office. And it just saves us all a bunch of time and headache. Um, and also, they have temperature-controlled rooms, which for a business like us, we, one of our products is pasta flour. It's really sensitive to temperature. It's really, really important for us to make sure that our products are secure and not um, not getting damaged while they're being stored in our warehouse. Um, and I love all the other amenities. I love they have a photography studio so we can quickly photograph our products. They have a full break room. Um, they have co-working space that we're able to use for our meetings with team members and other people um, that may come to, to see us. And then just the sense of community being around other uh, small businesses is something that we currently don't have. And I'm really, really looking forward to to connecting with others here.
0: I love that. ErnestReady.com if you've not uh, visited that before. Or you can check out makingitinashville.com forward slash earnest. And we have a bunch of information about the partnership we've built for this season, as well as some perhaps special discounts and incentives. If you happen to be a e-commerce business or the right fit for Ernest, you should definitely check out makingitinashville.com forward slash earnest. E-R-N-E-S-T. And back to the episode. Tactically, how did you, knowing that you've consulted on Kickstarters, how did you approach the launch how did you approach the campaign? well i mean i'm
1: <clears throat> i'm uh of a different mind about marketing Kickstarter than some people i i don't I, kickstarter has evolved in a way where it's now very paid ad driven but even that started to kind of decline as paid ads has started
0: to decline in, in its effectiveness so yeah, we like, i would sorry i would say 2019 to like 2021 It was top Kickstarter campaigns, like account, but it wasn't, it wasn't a count that actually did it. It was just one campaign paying some ad agency to run, you know, you know, indirect ads for a campaign and people would absolutely, it seemingly print money when done right. We missed the golden age of that. And we also actually missed the golden age of
1: the sourdough boom of COVID. Like we... That was really useful for us to launch for me to convince my wife and other people that this is a good idea, but like the uh, but what we didn't actually benefit from all that. So we took a, an approach of like, you know, we know we need to create a good page with a good video. we need to have a story I, you know, as a brand, we need to have a good story. We need to have products and have a, a selection of rewards that are X,Y,Z, all the basic Kickstarter stuff. but uh, and we did attempt to do digital marketing um, beforehand. We did, I did kind of forecast, here's how many people we'd like to have on a list uh, before we launched. We didn't get there, but um, but we had something, um, but we ended up building that over a course of a year because we did have that kind of like false start where we were public and we had to like do a song and dance and, and just pulse, be, yeah. yeah, we were just on Instagram. So we were just like, okay, here we are. And like, we were doing stuff. Um, and, uh, we got, you know, built a lot of support and community around just the product development process, getting feedback from people, reach out to people who, you know, were had, you know, who were both people, our friends and so on, but maybe had, uh, you know, Instagram followings or whatever as part of the feedback process. And, um, you know, generally the one thing I would advise any entrepreneur is like, if you can find, a a space that has a very welcoming, nice community and makes <laughs> right. things so much easier.
0: And like- Sourdough it, seems it, like it would be good people.
1: Super friendly, helpful people. And like people still for the most part do it because it's a passion rather than a business. And yeah. so a lot of the way that the internet has been commodified and, and Kickstarter has been professionalized, like we were able to avoid that a little bit. Um, and, uh, and then also I think I, like, I do. I am skeptical of how Kickstarter has professionalized and how the economics of it work. Like, people don't believe you can make a profitable Kickstarter campaign anymore, mm. which is true if you like outsource everything and you like hire digital agencies that are going to like do huge ad campaigns, you know, paid ads, but basically you're selling at cost because you just want to create this huge Long. campaign. Yeah. And like, there's still. I think I need for Kickstarter as a platform to have nice projects that tell nice stories and like showcase how it's still a kind of a culturally relevant place for cool things to get made. And I think that people at the end of the day in the long game still do wanna kind of be a part of interesting brands and interesting products that are have been carefully made, you know? And uh, so we, and that's just kind of who Jenny and I are. So like, so we took that path, we launched, we had like all kinds of problems with like, digital marketing like facebook locked us down um Ooh. like just it was like i forget now but it was like the week before we were supposed to launch we had been testing a campaign and they stopped allowing us to kind of increase our our uh, budgets because yeah. there was some sort of internal thing and you know facebook's awful to communicate with so it's like it took us literally like three weeks to get it cleared up. So we had to do half our campaign with like an ad budget of something like $25 a day. And like, it was, it was just like nothing. And, and so luckily, you know, we had a little bit of a list. We launched the list. We had, um, uh, some people who are ready to kind of help. Um, and then once we, you you know, the basic Kickstarter strategy, if you don't know this and you're listening to this is that you have to have a good first 24 to 48 hours, 72 hours, because that um, makes all kinds of other good things happen. Like you, know, you have to, that triggers the algorithm at Kickstarter or whatever yeah. that is and to, to, that
0: you're a positive performer. P- and, and if you're going to get any PR, it's because you crushed it in your first yeah, days. And it's days. It's an exciting thing. It's a shot that's yeah. already yeah so you know landed versus a will this be
1: yeah and the the whole game with kickstarter is like it's it is vaporware you're promising you're probably unless you're like Mezen or something now like you're 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 promising something that has it's just an idea you you have whatever credibility you have you bring to the table but you haven't done this thing before and um so you your first task is to convince people that this is real and will happen and and so getting some momentum helps show that. So we did achieve that in the first, I forget, 48 hours or something. We hit our target. What was we, the target? We said it, man, I don't know off the top of my head. We said it at a reasonable place. It was like, it was something like 14 or 18,000, I think. And so it was like, we. I, I forget all the numbers off the top of my head, but the you know there's a certain percentage of of funding, like once you hit that, you're likely to get more. And mm-hmm. like I did some calculations and we actually figured out like, what do we actually need to produce the minimum amount of stuff? So we were actually trying to fund the production. So we built our numbers around that and um, and we made some bets. And uh, so we were able to hit our target within that first time frame. That led to growth. We got some support from Kickstarter because at a certain point, like they see things, so we got put into like you know certain newsletters and stuff, and that's really key because like that reaches a lot of people who back Kickstarter projects. And we were very active in communicating. That's something else people don't do so much is like you know we were responsive to people's things. We were putting updates out constantly. Some people told us we put too many updates out. You know, it's like rather that than the alternative. Yeah, and so we. Just communicate a lot and make try to make a big thing. We got lucky; our video, I thought, came together really well, and um, you know, we just made that ourselves. And so we so we saved a lot of money. I'm doing a lot of stuff ourselves, yeah. pulling up friends and stuff. And we, but we also happen to have backgrounds that allow us to do that. And then we got lucky in some ways, but we also things things went south in a lot of ways. And I, I think fundamentally, a successful strategy is like one where you know. 50% of things go wrong and you still succeed, then like good, you know. Home run. We probably could have done doubles, what you know, double what we did, but you know, we that's fine. You know, we got through the goal and then that led us to the ability to produce the first round. And then your big thing is delivering on that um, and trying to get to people, we were trying to get to people before Christmas, which we ended up doing. Uh, we did do an Indiegogo campaign, kind of the background, that's the intermediate time during it. I don't know if I'd do that again, honestly. It was yeah. more of a pain than it was worth. Interesting.
0: Um, that is a quick, fo- fast follow is what a lot of... Yeah. It's.
1: I think it was because partially, one, we weren't, it didn't end up being so ad-driven. The ads mm-hmm. are not working quite as well. And we were in the spring coming now into the summer, which now I know understand the seasonality of my business is like the summer when it's hot out, it's less baking happening. So people are a little less engaged. But it also, I, I feel like, the whole shit, you know, people, there's credibility issues with like, I don't think Indiegogo still is as credible as Kickstarter. It, a lot of people, we have to convince even what Kickstarter is that it's safe and whatever, just to be a part of it. And like, okay. and then um, without the, the timeline, you know, of like 30 days, a certain goal, it's not as exciting. And so I think it's just harder to market around like an evergreen thing, which is like a new concept like ours, like we invented like a little category with our thing and you know, constantly having to like generate new, exciting things during those months when we are trying to produce it, it was, it was something that ended up going more on the back burner for us.
0: That makes a ton of sense to me. Um, th- I wanna say three questions popped up okay. in that more, but the three that I'm thinking about are, um, when it came to the look and feel of the brand during the Kickstarter, how closely does it re- did it resemble what we see today? Pretty close. Pretty I mean, we haven't done a rebrand of any sort yet. So who did that? Was that you? We did it together, Jenny and I. Like she's awesome. not, she- she's, So industrial design, there's some overlap and just being
1: able to make beautiful things. She's, I mean, yes, she has a lot of taste and like, and I think that goes a long way. And like, and I have, I have my humble opinions as well. Sure. Um, the, uh, she would hesitate to call herself a graphic designer and like, you know, and I think, because her standards are quite high, but for from my point of view, as like a scrappy marketer and stuff, and who start you know is on the likes to be on the startup side of things, um, we have plenty of resources between us to be able to do enough visuals to get us there. But it is a burden to like generate everything, and that's now where we're at more of a problem. It's like we just don't have time to do everything, yeah. and um, and we you know we we're fortunate like. Um, Jenny's partner is somebody who has a background in um, film and TV. And so, you know, we were able to bring him down and he got an iPad to shoot our video and like, you know, and so it was like, Jenny kind of like storyboarded our video (laughs) and (laughs) I like came up with script and we argued about the script and like, you know, I did a lot of performing in the script and like, so it's like, you see my son's hands in it. And like, (laughs) it's just like, it's like a very handmade homemade thing and that we just happened to like have the, experience and stuff to like do at a certain level but it's you know we can only take it so far with the the little bit of resources we
0: have but it was enough awesome and i i that's kind of what i guess i just wanted to make sure and then when thinking about um when thinking about list building pre-launch what tactics techniques strategy thought like how did you attempt to grow a list we tried. Uh,
1: well, initially we came up with like a like a campaign of like it was 2021. It was like us. We wanted to collect and share positive sourdough baking stories during COVID. And and so that was the whole thing. We built, a, launched our Instagram at that time and we built kind of like a call and pulled that end. So that got us some initial reasons to talk to some other brands and some influencers um, who we then also talked to, we were like, hey, we're making this product. And we started talking to them about this thing behind the scenes. So it started to create that like back, back end conversation. We started to attract some, you know, by doing like Uh, a launch, like a giveaway or with some other brands. It got us some initial um, kind of awareness for in terms of our Instagram. And then people submitted to the thing, signed up. We created a landing page for the Kickstarter in particular, which we launched a little bit after. Well, we ended up being a lot after it, like I guess about a year after it, but we, we did create a landing page where we were like, hey, we're releasing this thing, you know, if you're interested and, uh, and we tried different stuff. We did some paid ads at at a very low rate. Uh, We did, uh, we went out on forums and stuff. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of activity on the Facebook forums around Sardo baking. Um, And it was really a grind though. It's like our, building our Instagram, like we kind of, it it was, it was like a week to week kind of grind of building up a following there and, um, and It's been a lot easier to build our list once we've had concrete things
0: to sell. For sure. Yeah, heard, Um, and then you get funded, right? And so, to your point, I think the the promise of an Indiegogo is. Just less, lower, not as strong as, hey, uh, oh, this was a 30 day, 45 day campaign. What did you end up going We with? did What's 30 day. 30 and, day? Uh,
1: I don't think there's a right solution. Some people succeed
0: with like, you know, a week. Um, yeah. It's, uh, and then uh, when the ads engine was running, some people were doing like 60 day. Yeah. Like you could stretch, stretch it out. Stretch it out because you yeah. can
1: crush it. Yeah. It just kind of depends on what you. Different factors. We also knew we wanted to end by a certain time because we needed to get the production order. in line for Christmas and all that kind of stuff. Cool. So
0: it goes through. You get your uh, production order. A couple of things I'm thinking about is the transition from probably a website that's a concept to a website that is a storefront. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, early days of okay, we have a, we have a business. What do we do now? Uh, yes. First question. I think you're on Shopify, I looked the other day. Okay, so you're on Shopify, always been on Shopify. Started as a
1: very simple WordPress site, which I'm not a huge fan of WordPress's interface, so we, but that was really bare bones. That got us through that like storytelling campaign and then through essentially the, I guess we did, we launched it after Kickstarter, Went so then we knew okay so we're going to build this as e-commerce first. We built all of our models in terms of our, the economics of the products around e-commerce first, with uh wholesale as a kind of second thing because we still didn't know if would wholesale even want it. It's like once we start selling these things and not just doing a Kickstarter campaign, are people going to want it? So step by step, we've we've tried to be responsible at each goal, and so we built a we put up Shopify. It seemed to be the most like easy it was easy choice it served a lot of people the prices weren't terrible but it was also like took away a lot of the hassle of some things Mm -hmm. i i don't love the lack of control over the design sometimes but you know all the back-end integration and stuff are super helpful so we went to shopify uh we used it initially as just like a a sort of a replacement for our, our informational website and um and then we uh, were able to partially fulfill orders using the Shopify backend. When we were dealing with Kickstarter, we got a 3PL set up. We got our production going, and you know, just the whole shipping and logistics part of getting stuff because we make stuff overseas and bring it over mm-hmm. to warehouses. Like that's a whole thing I didn't really understand and had to figure it out, and still start figuring out. Um, so we had to do, put all that kind of stuff in place. We had delays on the production side that we had to deal with, and so it was real. Res- it's a real wrestling match to kind of get things out the door um, and finished. But we did, uh, yeah, it was like that transition to Shopify was like creating a store and we launched that. I don't know, it was something like, the store opened its doors for public sales shortly after we delivered the, the products. So it was like December 17th. So we got in there just under the line for Christmas. We were hoping to get it earlier and have a full holiday sell- selling season. Yeah, But, um, but we did get everybody's stuff to them by Christmas. So we were, we were snatched about that. Was that of 21 or 22? That would have been 22. And so we've had like our store up now, whatever, like eight months or something, six months. Yeah. On, on, and selling. Yeah.
0: Cool. I have more questions. (laughs) So, uh, the transition to, to Shopify, um, did you pull in any consultants for that? Did you do it in... We hired somebody to help us with the design uh,
1: because, again, like, we have a lot of ambitions and we're fussy about, especially visuals, but, mm-hmm. like, uh, but we also can only do so much. Like, I could probably figure out the coding for Shopify, but, but it's, it's like, do you? I want to do yeah. that? And, like, it's, like, it pains me that I can't always fix things I want to fix quickly. But it's not easy. Like, finding a good, like what we find is like, because we're, we're kind of an anomaly because we want to do things right. And I know from my life in business that there's the expensive ad agency that layer of, wor- of the world, which can be beautiful, but also can be quite um, generic and mm-hmm. goes through trends that I don't necessarily want to be a part of um, that are not worth the value. And then there's this like scrappy, like fiber world where like, Occasionally you find gems, but for the most part, they're just giving you templates, and like it's very generic, and uh, and the quality might be bad. The communication would be bad. That's one thing I value more and more as we do this: is like mm. good communication is um, is is if it's not there, it makes my life a lot more difficult. Um, and so we were definitely trying to do a budget thing. We were hiring people. We 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 found people like Shopify recommended. We looked on Fiverr and that kind of thing, and we found somebody who could help us like basically poured over what we had before, but we ended up doing the design essentially ourselves. Like we, mm. we were like, they wanted to give us templates and we were like, change this, change this. And we ended up going through all these rounds and it was like way more expensive than we would have liked. It's way cheaper than if we just farmed it out to somebody, but, and you know, it's still kind of a handmade thing um, and we still would like things to be better, but um, but um it got us there. And like we, at a certain point we were just like, okay, we just like, this is good enough. We'll have to just go with this.
0: I heard. At the, yeah. I think, I mean, that is the, the balancing act. It's like, um, you know, if, if it's not, what do they say? If it's not good enough to do it right the first time, It's, it'll be bad enough to do it twice or something. <laughs> so, so it's like, you know. and Yeah, when there's like that don't let the good be the enemy the, of, of the great or, or the whatever. perfect to be the enemy of the good. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so, you know, at, at a certain point, it's like, does that pixel affect the the sourdough enthusiast or the partner or the cousin or the mother of a sourdough enthusiast who wants to give a yeah. beautiful gift. Probably not. I my I always argue that like the most important part of a website are the words on it and like everything else supports the words uh, and I imagine the words have always been pretty dialed. I'm, well, I mean, I probably more on the word
1: side and my real bread and butter is probably events and like over design experiences and hmm. uh but words are part of that and like but Jenny is a hardcore visual person and I I'm somewhat agnostic about this this debate because I um, have to be in my kind of corner of marketing but the but like I know that there's purely visual people that exist and there's people who who are gonna like things like we make because they're they have a visual point oh, of view sure. and they're not like just a commodity uh, so we don't want to like not give those people the visual marketing stuff that they want because that's partially how they were going to validate us um but does everything have to be perfect you know should we let those kind of needs for perfectionism delay us too long is it it's a tension we still deal with like you know i we could move faster than we do and we could be more perfectionistic right now we're somewhere in the middle and i don't know if it's the right spot but Yeah, that's where we are.
0: We interrupt this episode with a horror story, an e-commerce horror story that my wife, Sarah Ubertaccio, experienced. But I'm going to preface, she's not alone. You might be an e-commerce store owner. You might have a friend who's an e-commerce store owner. And uh, this story is universal, though specific. Sarah, please take it away.
2: Yeah, well, I own a small business called Cubicucina, and we sell Italian pasta tools and kitchenware. And in our previous space where we were fulfilling from, one day my employee was packaging up a bunch of packages to ship via UPS and UPS did not pick up from this location and so she was going to package them up and take them out to the car and drive them to UPS. Well it was raining a lot that day. As it
0: tends to here
2: in Asheville. Yes as it tends to here in Asheville and on her way taking the dolly out to her car uh, some packages flew off the dolly were soaking wet. She was soaking wet and then she had to repackage them like go back up to the office and repackage them because they were ruined and and couldn't be shipped out so yeah
0: and uh a i'm so sorry to hear that story that's a heartbreaker now you don't have to worry about that happening anymore because you work at Ernest ready-made warehouse and they have daily pickups and deliveries from fedex UPS, and usps
2: yes it's like it's like suddenly we have a valet and concierge at our fingertips which is amazing um they have daily pickups from from all the major shipping carriers and they have a huge loading dock so we can receive our shipments very easily 24 hours of the day every day of the week which is amazing
0: to learn more about ernest ready-made warehouse. Visit makingitinashville.com forward slash Ernest, E-R-N-E-S-T. We have uh, all sorts of information about this season, about our sponsor, Ernest Readymade, and uh, offer a very special incentive for those of you who are small business owners in Asheville who could benefit from this facility. Back to the episode. When thinking then about the transition from Hey, we have this idea that we want to create with you. To hey, we have this product. Would you like to buy it? Um, what 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 is in the mix that y'all are using right now? Like what what has worked in the last eight months? As have there been things that you've let go uh, of? Okay, like the marketing mix, yeah, and, like and the what, offers and stuff? yeah. So how like, are you thinking about it?
1: Well, we're still just learning our year. Like we haven't been the full year. year, yeah. So we don't know, and like so we have to make like guesses. Uh, I think we had a a little bit of like tailwinds from Kickstarter and just launching and saying, hey, we're here at the sort of around Christmas that carried us into the spring. Um, From my conversations with other businesses in this kind of area, um, you know, sourdough sales can kind of extend into May, depending on where you are in the world. Um, And then there's a slower time in the summer and then it comes back for holidays and, um, you know, cold weather, at least here in the Northern hemisphere. Um, so, uh, we, what we find is that, um, we have our ads started working a lot better once we got into, once we had a product. And so our digital ads do a certain baseline uh, they are working from a profitability point of view, the cool, what I'm not finding is scale. And I'm not sure if that's just the timing of like, we're in the early, we're not to the holidays yet or are what you,
0: you're running them yourselves.
1: No, I have a, I have a person helping with that, and that's not something I'm like an expert at and can't really do it well, um, and uh, so, and I'm not totally convinced. What the reason is, why, like, I don't know if it's seasonal factors. I don't know if it's our product. I don't know if it's the size of our audience. I don't know if it's just exhaustion around sourdough stuff from mm-hmm. post COVID. Like, I don't know why it could be just chaos at, you know, Facebook, you know, it's like, it could be any kind of stuff. So we're just like watching, but it's profitable and it gives us a baseline of business, right? And like, that's really reassuring because it gives us one acquisition channel. Um, Now we have something of a list, so I am able to send out a newsletter if we have some kind of new sale or deal or whatever, or just educational stuff and get responses and and have something happen now, so that's helpful. We do um, referral marketing in a few different ways. One is um, we offer a a deal to, Using right now, we use referral candy. It, it offers like people buy it the chance to kind of give a code to a friend for ten um, percent off, and they get a they get ten bucks for it. That's worked well to kind of give us a certain percent of sales.
0: What, what are we? Yeah, what are we looking at on um, like an average order size or, or something to that effect? How how are you thinking about like a first transaction versus a lifetime? Well, it's, ten percent might like, be yeah. something. It might be a small bit $10 might be something it might be a small bit for me it's like uh, it's it's i think we can afford it
1: like but our order our average order size changes a lot because like initially goldie and the jars sold together as a unit and kickstarter and we're very much tied together in the early days but Mm -hmm. now we're seeing a lot more either like single jar sales that are either reorders or people we're starting to advertise a little bit just jars. And so sometimes that's a kind of a path in and people buy a jar or two And then maybe think about a Goldie later. Mm. Some people don't need a Goldie. They just like, they, they live in a warm house or whatever. And like, but a jar is really their solution they need. So, so our average order of, uh, dollar like basket size has gone down. And um, I don't know, I don't really have, I feel like a good read on that yet. Like, I feel like I had a concept of like, call it $100 or something, average sale value, and like it's gone down, but it goes back up. It's very very bouncy right now. And I can tell on like a holistic level when I look at my budgets that, you know, we're still profitable around the same kind of estimates that I want. So I'm just, I'm kind of waiting and seeing and seeing how this evolves. Um, I do cap my digital ads though, based on uh, conversion uh, cost, uh, cost of acquisition, rather than just do like clicks or something. Sure. Like I, I I have technically, my guy has Facebook like limiting, putting a ceiling on how much it costs to acquire somebody. So I'm sure if I like juice the numbers more, went for, uh, if, I, if I accepted lower margins or whatever, I could scale up. But that's not something I'm going to even test right now because the it's summer and sure. it's just not the right season. Yeah. I've also tried to offset it a little bit by you know reaching out to Australia and because uh, that's a sourdough country yeah. and so reverse climate. They're in their winter right now as we're talking here. It's it's summer in Asheville, and um, and so we just for instance did a webinar with uh, an Australian-based um, home baker, uh, you know as way to just like engage that community a little more we've done several webinars those do a little bit of something they're like a nice model but they're not like super profitable or whatever but it it, it's a way of engaging and testing things and um I think for us the next channels is, is to do a lot more pr um you know and gift guides yeah up we, we didn't really do that last year and the, the the gift guide thing around kickstarter has gone down like there's not as much pr coverage of kickstarter as it once was sure um so this year is kind of like our coming out for that and then um uh and we're gonna you know we right now use facebook instagram which are two the two places sourdough bakers really congregate. TikTok is less important, but you know, we have kind of an eye on it and um, use Google ads, but we need to do more YouTube uh, content. We need to just generate more content. Like, like anytime we post anything like Something on happens. Instagram, yeah. yeah, stuff happens, but like, yeah. we just don't have a, we still are doing it all ourselves and don't have a good system for creating content yeah. yet. That's like up to our standard. And so again, it's that, that thing of like bootstrapping it or mm-hmm. we're being lean on our resources. We're not ready to hire like full agencies, but we also really are particular about what we're putting out there visually and content wise. So we're just trying to figure out that how to walk that line.
0: Well, what I do see does seem really clean. Uh, how are you producing the videos that i see on instagram right now are they we do it
1: ourselves a lot jenny's been doing a lot of them recently so she's done a couple of these like nice clean um countertop things like about starter states of starter and like you know drying starter and stuff um we used we've gone through phases of our instagram for like early days it was all like found you know kind of like copyright free imagery of bread. <laughs> and then we would do like these jokey captions that we would like back and forth, like have conversations around. And like, we just filled our f- feed with that for a long time. And like, and then we started to do some giveaways and we still do occasional giveaways. And we did some like user generated content where we call for to show off their starter and their name, tell us the story about it. So we kind of interviewed people's starters. And we've done all kinds of like little moves and they're fine and fun. Um, they're a lot of work though. and the, I I can't say that we have found a thing that's like the perfect formula for us on there.
0: And, um, and I, you know, so we just keep trying stuff. Great. Yeah, I mean, it it all looks clean. You're at, I wanna say around 9,000 followers after about nine months or eight months in the Yeah, I mean, technically we've been doing it for Um,
1: two years, like grind up two years. And so it's like, we like, we, we just walked, we worked our way up from like, you know, a few hundred followers to like a thousand. Or we launched with something like, I, well, I can't even remember now. We probably had a thousand followers or something when we launched on Kickstarter or something like that. Makes sense. Um, but at the end of the day, Instagram's great and it's important, but I think the email list is the most
0: important thing. You'd never hear me say anything other than that. Well, how are you thinking about emails today? You said newsletter.
1: Also, also ne- or ne- or neglecting. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, mostly I do that stuff. Sure. And like for me, w- w- how about this? What do you use? Uh, I actually use MailerLite, which is like I have just used. I use my consulting business because it was cheap, and uh, and so I, I probably at some part at some point we should move to that. Uh, clavi- clavio. 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 One of the two. But it's just like. I don't really want to pay that much money yet, and like, and I see the integrations, I see all the stuff, but it's just like all these features, it's just more work for me, and like, and so from an efficiency point of view, I just need a way to send out an email, you know, track some links, you know, that kind of thing, ha- have people subscribe, create landing pages, and so it's good enough for me right now. I, I do, um, I mean, so I create a lot of that that content, but. So the copyright piece of it I think is important. I'm not an expert at it. I've looked I've studied it some but like uh, but I I think that more importantly is having things to talk about. And so obviously having new products, that's great. But as a brand market I'm a, like kind of a brand marketer. So uh, my my goal is like, we need to create stories or events or anything that's like new that we can talk about. And then there's like many expressions of that content should trickle through your system as yeah. a, however mature your system is. And so like when we do a webinar, that gives me something to talk about and email people about. And also it's like nice to be able to give people something that's like free, you know, just sign up for it and like not ask them to buy something. So yeah. trying to balance that, you know, and then, you know, we have deals and stuff that we, we do. We're doing a dollar shipping deal right now. Um, and uh, you know, I'll let people know about those sorts of things. But I try to keep in mind, like it's we have a, a good chunk of our list where people have bought from us before, but we're limited in the number of other products we have yet.
0: So, yeah, I was gonna ask, how many SKUs are we looking at at this point? The so
1: the, the core things is Goldie and the two jars. And then we also have a- Pint fr- and- A pint of court. quart. And then we have a fridge magnet that we sell. We sell a three pack of the cooling pucks, but you get one with Goldie. So that's like a secondary kind of accessory for just a small market. And, uh, and then we have like a replacement cloche. And we also do, we've been testing out some guest brands. So like right now we have a mixing bowl from East Fork, who's a neighbor here in um, Asheville, uh, that we have on our site. we may do some other kind of things like that to kind of create some other opportunities. But, you know, just like sell more stuff, but also to kind of like position ourselves and all that kind of thing. So it's all, it's all that, but I, um, I think to me it's like having new stories to tell and having things that add value to, to our to our followers and our fans and our customers. And you know, we want to give them stuff to buy, but we also want to give them the reason to buy and and keep them engaged. Yeah. And so that takes time.
0: Seem like you got a, a strong vision of things. What when thinking about so we're past halfway twenty twenty three, what are There's a lot of things you could do as you're preparing for your first full year um, and thinking ahead to 2024. How are you attempting to prioritize all of what could happen?
1: So we're not doing everything we think about, um, but we
0: first thing is inventory. We have to have inventory in a warehouse. Meant to to ask. uh, So 3PL 20 plus minutes ago, third party logistics. I imagine that's solved in like the Northeast. Is that like a New York? New we have Jersey our setup? our we have we originally had one set up. We have one in China and we have one in
1: New Jersey. We're about to do move it to Texas. Um there's a variety of reasons I picked the New Jersey one. Some of it was ignorance, some of it was trying to give our um, our Kickstarter backers, the best, the low shipping rates, sure. and um, but now because people pay for shipping, that's less of a priority. Um, so and and being like in Texas, for instance, will allow faster shipping to more, more of the U.S. Um, so the and it also shorter distance for importing. Um, but we serve uh, the United States, Canada from a warehouse in the United States and then the rest of the world, the, the, we don't ship everywhere, but like where we do ship, it just comes out of China right now. And so we actually have this kind of, I like it because it's simple. It doesn't serve everybody as, as well as I'd like eventually, but essentially we're able to deliver to a lot of countries like Australia and you know, you know, know the UK and whatever, um, but it's slow. Um, yeah. You have to wait for it to come from China if you're one of those countries. So we are, um,
0: uh, you know, slowly
1: kind of addressing that.
0: And with all this glass, how are deliveries? Is it? We've
1: been really lucky with it. We, we did a lot of thinking about our packaging and we, you know, we do drop tests and all that sure. stuff. So we have pretty robust packaging. We've had minimal breakage, like, right. and even in countries like, you know, like Italy is really notorious for like, you <laughs> know, you rough, rough mail. You got to see some <laughs> of the packages Sarah gets. Well, yeah. So all her product comes from Italy. Oh yeah. I bet. I used to work <laughs> with Italians and I, I know no one loved them well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we actually had, we had some breakage on our first shipment over, um, we sent a shipment by air initially to try to fulfill some of that Kickstarter backers. And so some of that got damaged, but, uh, in terms of the delivery to people, it's a, it's a minimal amount right now, which we're stoked about. Right. So that's good.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of cut off the question initially, which is what, are, what, are, how are you attempting to prioritize all of the sea that you might want to boil? Yeah. So we got to have inventory ranking
1: guesses about how much to have, like Mm -hmm. based on like imperfect data. Right. And so we're trying to figure out that we are. We are starting to uh, test wholesale. So we've got a handful of people doing some wholesale for us now. I expect we're going to probably double or so the size of wholesalers come the fall. Some of that is going to be important because it's going to be in the UK EU. And Mm. so the the places to ship to yeah so like they can have a a like a faster shipping option that also um and it also makes returns a lot easier Hmm. uh so i'm really excited to give those people um that that option um and then we're you know also i think wholesale is useful for growing your brand you know just raising awareness so um we're doing that kind of thing and then We have um, a handful of, like, marketing kind of initiatives that are in the works, you know, that we're hoping that we're able to pull off at different scales. One of the things that we have ongoing that's worked really well is um, we created a... Originally, it was, like, a bonus for our Kickstarter community. It's, like, we call it the Sour House Community Cookbook. And the idea is it's based on, you know, the kind of, like, grandma church cookbook people used to give away and make. And um, so it's mostly either it's like submitted recipes or sourdough baking tips from our community. And, um, and there's also a lot of stuff from me and, and Jenny in there. And, and, uh, we are just about to do our third edition of it and put it out. So that'll be something we'll talk about sometime in the next few weeks. And then we'll be doing some content from that. We we'll use that to drive some of the other channels, um, as we go into the fall and uh you know we'll probably do maybe like a bundle or something and you know stuff like that and uh and then we're hoping pr will be a part of it this year and uh i don't know it's like other than that it's like operation stuff like because we are we're like moving our warehouse and we're um gonna be testing a new warehouse and like hopefully the fulfillment goes well one thing that's really changed since kickstarter is like customer service is a bigger piece of everything Mm -hmm. and we do it ourselves i do a lot of it and um and so that's like a daily requirement that also goes up and down. And so when we're more successful, we sell more stuff, I get more questions. And so that actually, the the busier the business is, the more I'm a little bit bogged down by that. Yeah. And so it's really great to be able to interact with your customer and understand them and hear them directly. But I easily foresee us getting overwhelmed by that and trying to figure out, how we deal with that like whether outsourcing or hiring somebody or whatever is like that's a big question mark for me and we may end up hiring somebody part-time or outsourcing something for the fall building building your own little recipe guide of how to respond to this yeah and like, I, my, my dream is at least initially to hire all sourdough bakers in the country into the company and uh for if we do any hire anybody as a real consultant part-timer or full-timer and um And so I'd like, cause we get three kinds of questions. Like one is just shipping stuff. Sure. Where's my order returns, things like that. Occasionally we get like, I don't know how to use this. I have a product question, something's broken whatever. And then there's also sourdough advice. And so if someone knows at least something about sourdough and can kind of quickly answer that, that's a huge help, you know,
0: my my wife um, works with pasta makers. Mm -hmm. And so they at least at a couple intervals and maybe it's now full time, they had like a pasta hotline. So yeah. Like if you're experiencing like a, I a if this is a non-emergency situation, you know, call nine one one if it's an emergency. But if this is a yeah, process, yeah. you can. Uh, I reach wanted. Out to us.
1: I wanted to launch something like that last last year on the holidays, and uh, I still have it on the list. And uh, I uh, that's one of those things where it's like I have a wacky idea, <laughs> and I have to talk Jenny into it, and like, and you know, I actually have a budget, and I have I have the idea for it, but like, I don't know if it will happen this year. or Yeah.
0: Not. I mean, there's there's. Uh, we're in a place Ernest has that one of their businesses is um, Bright Bell. And so it's like 45 uh, primarily women that Oh, they do call answers. They they call
1: answering. Well, they do customer service type stuff too? They do. Yeah, so like
0: and theoretically, it could be locally done, nice. hotline to I, answer. I'd do that. My dream
1: is like a bunch of like old grandmas. who actually do yeah, no that. Yeah, yeah, they like, gra- and like, yeah. so they have the grandma hotline. Yeah. And but, it's like, uh, yeah, because Butterball does that. But you you know. can't
0: get them off the phone. That, that would be like the best part. <laughs> it's most expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. So, no, um, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm into it And then, uh, for a little bit of self indulgence before we wrap up, um, the only, sour I mean we've made a couple loaves of bread over the years we also survived a, a pandemic and so like many we, we tried it for the first time but pizza I've used sourdough to make pizza dough and then I've done like a couple day rises to make pizza really great um, I imagine you'll have a link somewhere online but do you have any pizza sourdough like how do I think about pizza making as opposed to sourdough bread making uh, so i i think
1: i'm a big advocate of sourdough pizza i think it's going to be better than a lot of stuff you get around the country um i i think that more pizza baker makers should be playing with sourdough pizza because it just is an easy way to up your game um it's more of a philosophy i think than a style uh, in my opinion it's like because you can do any style of pizza making with sourdough it's just like do you want that flavor and time and process or not Um, I do have a, I have a little blog on our website about this. We're going to actually have a a similar set of tips in the next cookbook that we're putting out, but um, the community cookbook. But my view is like, I know there's a lot of geeks, pizza geeks out there, just like there's a lot of sourdough geeks. Sure. And and there's, you can be really fussy about it and there's beautiful pizzas to be made. But I think for most people, and for me as a dad and somebody who doesn't have a ton of time, it's like, I have this kind of philosophy of the, the good enough loaf or the good enough pizza. Like, like, I know it all can be intimidating, but really most of what you make at home even your first few tries will be better than a lot of stuff you get at the store. And sure. like, and so for pizza, uh, I typically use whatever dough I have I'm making bread with. Like I'll make a big bucket of dough and have like, you know, maybe four or five loaves worth in a in, in a go and I'll, I'll bake one or two to start with. And then I'll keep the leftover in the fridge and that might turn into pizza. And like, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, you can, con- there's uh, when you bake, you talk about hydration, like wetter doughs or higher hydration, you know, lower doughs. And so a lot of people use like a drier dough for pizza. and You might add a little olive oil in some cases or whatever. Um, and that might not be hit the dough that I have in the fridge, but
0: I find it works okay. Well, like, what, is, what is a low percentage?
1: So people use doughs anywhere from like... 60 to like 85 percent like an average dough might be like 70 percent 75
0: percent or pizza
1: pizza I typically see lower I don't remember off the top yeah, of my head I, I, I think there's about
0: a, 60 I yeah think I think it's, a, 60, it's a kilogram of uh, flour yeah and about 600 of water, water. yeah yeah um, is what I normally am using but I I mean I use 80 80
2: percentage wow.
1: hydration dose, it's, it's all fine. And like, you know, where's that line between a focaccia and a pizza? You know, it's just like, I, I, a lot of time, I, I love making little rounds. I like bubbles. I like to have oh, yeah. crust. My wife doesn't like crust. My kids, you know, are have all their kind of opinions. Yep. And like, and uh, so a lot of times when I'm busy, I just slop out something that's like a big sheet tray of stuff and I make everybody's little sections with all their like topping needs and like I just bake that. And sometimes I put too much dough on there and it looks more like a focaccia and sometimes it's like a little bit thinner. It looks more like a pizza. It, it's all fine, it. <laughs> you know.
0: That is, And that is life. Yeah. <laughs> that is. Totally. That is and so uh, one of the, my favorite things and I kind of sat on it, I'm like, I don't know if I need to say it, but... Um, in in Tim Ar- Tim Ferris's 4 hour chef mm-hmm. slash yeah 4 hour chef there's um one of my one of the parts that stuck with me is that he has people uh go into like their living room on their knees with a with a pan and put like whatever beans they have or rice they have in the pan and practice flipping rice oh, yeah. and beans uh-huh. so that they're less fearful when it comes to cooking. Uh-huh. Uh, you can practice with really low stakes. Uh-huh. And what I'm seeing here is like, while it's beautiful, it is an opportunity to allow people to practice with like you go bowling with the bumpers on in some way or another. And there's there's nuance and it could still go wrong. It somehow could get hot. Somehow it could get cold. Um, but it, it allows for the higher likelihood of the pins to get hit. And um, I'm pro that. I think that's a really, really, you're onto something here and I'm excited to see what happens next for Sour House. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I think that's always a good um, kind of strategy, you know, because it's like, I think most people um, want complicated things to be made easier. And uh, and while there's always community that wants to do something perfect, more perfectly like I think the broader community is obviously trying to get started and do things easier so that's where we've ended up and I I appreciate you noticing that and you know there's a lot of layers of thought into our products that have tried to help that and uh hopefully we'll continue to succeed at it
0: well how would people uh follow along if they were so inclined or if they wanted to perhaps get the next version of the cookbook
1: yeah. So, uh, you can always find us at SourHouse.co that's SourHouse.co, um, online. And then, uh, we're on Instagram and social channels, uh, life at SourHouse, uh, is our handle. And then the cookbook, uh, there's a pop-up that happens on our website, but also in the footer, you can find a, a link to the cookbook. Um, download the one we have. If you download the current one, you will, and you're still on our list, we'll, we'll just send you the updates as they come out. And, um, uh, yeah, I think Instagram and uh, our website getting on our list, those are the best ways to kind of
0: stay with us. Amazing. We'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes and in the emails and posts that follow. But this has been wonderful. Thank you yeah. so much for the time. Thanks for having me on. It's
1: been great talking to you.
0: I, so much. I can't, I honestly, I can't wait to, to follow along and, and see what's next. I can't believe you're less than a year old. It's crazy. Well,
1: thanks.